story is told in the discipleship journal of, um, from Don McCullough about a, a John Killinger who tells of a manager of a minor league baseball team. Now, if you've ever watched baseball, then you know that there's a manager out there trying to control things and think about the process of where to put people and all that kind of stuff. Well, he was the manager of this minor league baseball team, and he was disgusted with the center fielder's performance so much that he yelled and ordered him to get off the field, and the manager went out there and took his spot because he was so mad at how bad and how poorly he was doing. Well, the first ball that came to the manager came, um, took a bad hop and hit him in the head and bounced off. The next one was a high fly ball, but the manager lost it in the sun and it fell down in between him and the second baseman. And the third one was a hard line drive that came out with outstretched arms. He was ready to get it, and all of a sudden, he misjudged it, and it went between his legs and went past him. Furious, so mad, he ran back to the dugout and yanked that outfielder and said, you idiot, you've got center, fielders, center field so messed up, I can't do a thing with it. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to look at ourselves to say, where am I at? And what part do I have to pay in this process of my life and what is happening? We don't want to allow ourselves to be the ones that are at fault. We see in Genesis chapter 3 these words. And first of all, I do know that, that many of you know all about Genesis chapter 3. And so I just want us to rethink through the process of what happens here with this situation with Adam and Eve. And it says in verse 3, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I'm sorry, I should have had you do this because the scripture tells us many times 
that when they read the word, they stood in reverence to the word. So would you please stand with me as we finish the reading? And I'm sorry, I know you've already been up and down many times. So verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Father, I pray that your word will come clean to our hearts, to our minds, to our understanding, and help us relate your word to our own lives, where we're at and where we need to be. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have to understand, first of all, that this, in this scripture, it says that the serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the field. So there must have been some sort of intelligence that this, this being had. And many times in the scriptures, it says it related back to he was inhabited by Satan himself to try and trick the woman. As a matter of fact, we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. God wants us to understand that the serpent is still trying to corrupt people today. He's trying to get into our hearts and into our lives and into our situations and trying to corrupt us. Now we may say, that, oh, he's not really that cunning. I'm smart enough. Man is smart. Man can understand a lot of things. There are a lot of, a lot of complex thoughts that go out that people say, I am smart. Some would even say, I'm as smart as God. But we see here that it says, the serpent was cunning more than any beast. He is more cunning than you are. You don't think that you have the wherewithal to understand where he's coming from to try and twist your mind to let, to let you fall. In all probability, this creature, according to Spurgeon, who was a preacher in the 1800s, he was nobler than any creature 
from before the fall than now. The words of our text, so far as they literally concern the serpent, threatened that a change would be wrought in him. We don't know what kind of serpent it was, but apparently he had the ability to talk to Eve and to try and get her to think of things differently. He said to the woman, why did he say it to the woman? Why didn't he say it to Adam? There's a couple of things that we may look at in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, where it says, here's what you're supposed to do with this tree that's in the middle of the garden. God doesn't say it directly to Eve. It's Adam's responsibility to tell Eve what she should do. And so he did. He shared that information. Somewhere along the line, she got her information a little bit mixed up. Maybe Satan knew that Adam didn't do a very good job of sharing this information with Eve. So the failure would be on Adam's part. That it was his fault that he didn't explain to her, this is what you're supposed to do. Satan maybe knew that Eve was the weakest one of the two. Because she came along second. And because she didn't have as personal a relationship with God as Adam did. God works on the weakest link in the chain. There may be some people that are around you that are not as strong as what you are. And they are struggling. We need to watch out for those who are struggling. We need to be able to say, here's... What's going to happen if you proceed down this road? Well, Satan hit her where her weak link was, whatever the reason was that it happened. We all have weak links. We all have things we, we struggle with. Things that come to our mind. Things that we know we're not supposed to do, and yet we do. Things that we've said, I won't do that ever again, and yet we do. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus says this about the people that are dealing with him on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we find these words. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. God wants us to realize that he can help us through our temptations. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. God wants us to realize 
that we are weak. The devil is cunning, and he will get us in ways that we can't even think of. In 2013, there was a Super Bowl commercial that came on, and interesting how this commercial perceives, and I want you to think about what this commercial is then saying to us as a people. Nice car. Sure is. Make a deal with me, kid. You can have the car and everything that goes along with it. September, set your soul free. The seductive CLA, starting under $30,000 from Mercedes-Benz. Now you may say, boy, that was a unique commercial. I don't even know if you remember that that commercial came during the Super Bowl in 2013. But I want you to know that there's a subtle subtle thought process that is going with this commercial. Number one, that the devil is offering you whatever you want. Because we see when he disappears at the end, we get that impression that, and with his pointed fingernails, and that it was the devil. So he's trying to manipulate this person's thinking into saying, They'll get everything that they want, and then they go into this big flashback. I want you to notice then that the thought process changes when he looks and the, they drop the sign for the price of the car. And he looks to the devil, and he says, no, I can do this without you thinking that I can be smarter than what the devil is. Let me tell you something. We're not smarter than the devil. We're not smarter than what he wants to do to manipulate our lives, to try and get us. We cannot, we are not in control of what happens. I want you to follow with me in the scriptures here. 
go down through. Now, I'm not going to read every scripture again, but I want us to think through the process of what's happening here. I want you to look at the first thing that Satan attacks is what does God say? That's the first thing that he says. Now, I want you to think about how this affects us is we look at what does God say. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning, and the pastor said, I don't like it when there's only one verse because it doesn't show the context of where everything's at. But don't people do that? Don't we do that? Don't we pull out one verse and say, this is what we believe. This is how we live our lives. And you're going, I'm not sure that it's what the Bible. And you open up your Bible and you go, that's what it says. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, we see this verse come out at graduation times. Jeremiah 29, 11. You've come to this milestone in your life and you're, you're getting ready to go out and you're getting ready to really make a difference in the world. And the verse says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and, and all these things that God wants us to do. And that God is blessing us saying that we will do it. When we do this, when we pull out certain scriptures and pull them and just say, this is the most important part, and this is all I believe, we're doing the same thing that the devil says, the devil did. He took a portion of what was said, and he twisted it around. You know what a lot of people say today? And you see this on commercials, on TV, on radio. You see things that say, you can do it on your own. It's called self-help. You can buy books. You can get videos. There's people like Tony Robbins, who is a self-help motivator. And I can still remember when he came out in the early, um, early 80s, late 80s I still remember that he came out and it seemed so good and there's many people that have come out and say if you do this God will bless you if you send a thousand dollars then then you'll get get it back tenfold and people try to manipulate our thought process they try to take what God's word says take out a portion of scripture and say this is what you want you this is what God wants you to do I want you to realize the first thing that the devil does to attack us is he takes God's word and twists it around. Satan's first attack was, has God really said? If he could make Eve confused about what God said or what you believe that God said, then the battle was partially won. From the beginning, and if you look, it's interesting, if you do a comparison, we're not doing that today, but if you look in Matthew, where Jesus is tempted, there's a lot of similarities between the two. But here, Satan is trying to undermine 
God's word. He can undermine just as effectively if we neglect God's word or don't know God's word. He says, in essence, I thought God said you could eat of every tree of the garden. God won't let you eat of every tree of the garden. He twisted it around and made her, made her think, hey, wait a minute. He did say we could eat of every tree of the garden. Uh, why, why is this change happening? You know, many adulterers have said, love is good. I deserve it. I deserve to be happy. They don't treat me right. God wants me to be happy. It says so in his word. Therefore, it's okay that this happens. Satan is using our own feelings and our own anger against us. It's not about you and what your feelings are. It's about how do you want to live for God. So the first thing is, he wants to twist us up by making us not believe God's word. Then secondly, <coughs> excuse me, once she listens, and here's another thing, why does she discuss it with Satan? Doesn't the Bible say that we're supposed to run? We're supposed to say, Satan, get behind me? We're not supposed to say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's try to figure this out. So the second thing is, she starts to question God. She starts to question if, if, if God said this, then I'm going to take what I believe that this is the right thing and I'm going to make it so that it's to my betterment, so that it makes me look good. This is a natural outcome of us trying to make ourselves as God. It helps us to have an incomplete view of who God is. Because God doesn't really want us to succeed. God doesn't want, us to, doesn't want the best for us. Therefore, he's trying to get away with something. He's just doing this for his own good. People today want to feel good about themselves. And so they take this and they twist scriptures to where they make it the best for themselves. The first thing is, Satan wants us to twist the scriptures up. The second thing is, we start to question it ourselves. There have been many people that have read God's word and twisted it so that it fits their situation and that they can use it for their own benefit. We continue to see that the woman, as she discussed this with Satan, Jude chapter 9 says, the Lord rebukes you. We're not supposed to discuss with Satan 
how we're going to get through our troubles. We're just supposed to tell him, here's what God's word says. Here's what I believe. Get behind me. Adam Clark says that when Eve then adds to the scriptures, notice what she, notice to the words of God, she adds to the words of God. She, the original says, you shall not eat from it or you will die. This, when she adds, you're not supposed to eat from it or you're not supposed to touch it. Um, there's some Jewish writers, and I, I'm not going to say this right, but it's chapter 19, verse 3 in this Jewish writer of what he did. He said that as soon as she said this, and isn't this what the devil does? He tries to prove your, in, your problems with the things that you say and the way that you think, and all of a sudden you think it's scripture and it's not, and he tries to get away with doing something that's going to manipulate you into thinking, I guess I was wrong. It says in some of these Jewish writers that when she said, nor shall I touch it, she said that the snake pushed her against the tree. And she touched it. And then he looked at her and said, see, you touched it. Nothing happened to you. You didn't die. Isn't that what the devil tries to do? He tries to get us to think, I guess I was wrong about that. I guess I was wrong about God's word. So the second thing is, first thing is, he tries to get us to think wrong about scripture. Second thing is, we start to question it ourselves. The third thing is, all of a sudden, our theology. Theology, theo, God, ology, study of, theology, study of God. Our theology, what we believe and how we live. All of a sudden, I'm not sure if any of it's right. If this one section can't be right, how can the rest of it be right? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. We've already brought that up. I know the plans I have for you, but do you know what this scripture is really about? This is about the Babylonian captivity. And he said during this scripture, after verse 11, he says, then you will call on me and you will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. You see, when we take one verse out and just apply it to ourselves, it, we may miss the whole meaning. So then our theology, our thinking about God, all of a sudden becomes wrong. We need to realize God does have good plans for me, but it's if I obey him. It's if I follow after him. Satan then directly challenges God's word. And he says, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're not going to die. You've already touched the tree. You know that that's not going to happen. So then he starts to manipulate and starts to continue to discuss with Eve. The foundation has been made. Have you ever wished that you never would have been talked into something that you got yourself talked into and you felt like you didn't have any way out of it? Satan is trying to manipulate us. Satan can manipulate us and effectively work because he's established a foothold if he gets us to twist God's word. Eve starts to doubt the goodness of God. If God lies to her, how can he be good? He tries to let her see that this tree is good for food. So this sin, it's really good for you. Satan wants us to believe that something that God has given to us is bad and God doesn't want us to have it. God, something is good and God doesn't want us to have it. His main lie is sin is not bad. God is not good. He says your eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened if you think about somebody who's been deaf their whole life and they are given the opportunity that they are going to hear again and this will be the best thing that you can ever have. And they say, yes, I want to do that. But when they get their hearing, all they can hear is screaming. Satan does that with sin. He says, if you try this, it will be so good. It will be the best thing that ever happens. And then when you get it, you realize it's a pit. It's dragging you down. Jewish rabbis say nothing but malice has prompted God's command because as soon as you eat it, you will be as God. That is what Satan is trying to say. As he creates and destroys worlds, so you will have the power to create and destroy. As he kills and revives, you'll have the power to kill and revive. God himself ate first of the fruit of the tree, and then he created the world. Therefore, he forbids you to eat of it, because you're going to be like him. Isn't that what we do when we try to take the things of sin and put them into our lives? We believe that that will make us something better. The goal of becoming a god is in many non-Christian religions. If you do this enough, you will become a god. In Isaiah chapter 14, it says, Satan said this, I will ascend into heaven 
I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will be like the Most High. Yeah, when we do this, we are like Satan. In the New Age movement in the early 90s, we see that 12 million people said that they are involved in it. 30 million were interested in it. In 1995, the New Age influence made all its way to the White House. New Age author Marianne Williamson, guru to many of Hollywood's spiritual seekers, spent a night at the White House as the guest of the Second Lady at that time. Today, we call these people, and this was a strange term to me, probably uh, maybe six or seven years ago, and maybe some of you have heard of this terminology, an influencer. An influencer. I remember watching something on TV and they said, what do you do? What's your occupation? I'm an influencer. What? An influencer? What is, what's that? What do you do? I influ influence people in the, in the way that they should go. Influencers are a person regarded as an expert or have a steady, steady following. People trust their opinions and their endorsements, and that's why so many people get on TV and now they are endorsing things because they are influencers. You see, what happens, the third thing is all of a sudden our theology changes and all of a sudden we become like our own, our own entities. The fourth thing that happens here, she crossed the line. Did you know that the Great Wall of China, it was a gigantic structure, and they say that you can see this, China, this wall from outer space because it's so, so massive and so big. It's cost an, an immense amount of money and labor. When it was finished, it appeared impenetrable. But the enemy got through not by breaking down or making ladders and climbing across it. They bribed the gatekeepers. Isn't it easy when you think about things that I can get, I can get, be better because of this. And they take this and make it where they've crossed the line. Some people fall in temptation. They make great plans for disaster ahead of time. Son ordered the father, don't swim in that canal. Okay, daddy answered, but he came home wearing, carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been, determined the father? Swimming in the canal. Didn't I tell you not to swim there, the father asked. Yes, sir. Well, why did you? Well, dad, I had my bathing suit and... I just couldn't resist the temptation. Why did you take your bathing suit with you, he questioned. Well, so I'd be prepared to swim if I was tempted. Sometimes 
according to Charles Swindoll in his book, One Step Forward, too many of us expect to sin. We prepare to sin. We excite sin. The remedy for such a dangerous action is found in Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Whenever we play with temptation, we're going to get burned. A woman went out to sea, and she started swimming around in the ocean. She thought it was wonderful, so she got out deeper and deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden, she couldn't touch bottom. She couldn't hardly stand, get, get her... And all of a sudden, she was just floating and trying to just stay alive. When they finally got up to her, she was five miles out from the shoreline. It makes it easy when we start into such a small little, we're going to be okay if we just do just a little bit further. He wants us to realize that all of a sudden we can lose our understanding of what God is. He changed her thinking. Woman saw it was good. She said, I'm going to go ahead and do this. She took of the fruit and she ate, and then she gave to her husband. Once he ate, isn't it interesting, and I'm not going to get on this topic, but isn't it interesting that when she ate, her eyes weren't opened. When he ate, both their eyes were opened. We're affected by other people. And if we allow other people to change what we're supposed to do, you know, I wonder what would have happened if he would have said, no, we're not going to eat of it. Would nothing have been done? But he did eat, and he gave in to the temptation of this woman that, that he had. So it's Adam and Eve. It's not Eve. It's, it's not Eve. It's Adam and Eve. They both gave in to the sin. But I want you to realize that God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, no temptation is taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape so that you don't have to go through it. No. He says, so you can bear it. You can get through it. We twist the truth, we pass the blame, and once we pass the, once we do that, all of a sudden now we're at number five, we try to hide. We try to hide our sin from God, and we even try to hide it from everybody else. We don't want to be embarrassed and ashamed. We want to protect our position. We fear the consequences 
How many times have people lied because they were afraid of what might happen if they tell the truth? We believe we'll change on our own. I can get better on my own. We're sure we won't get caught. We convince ourselves it's not really wrong. We just love doing what we're doing. It won't hurt us if we keep quiet. So what did they do? Their eyes were opened. All of a sudden they wanted to hide what they had done. And so they sewed fig leaves together. Fig leaves apparently are a pretty scratchy little leaf. And I can imagine that when they did this, they have a prickly kind of quality. And it made for a pretty itchy covering. I don't know if you've ever walked with something that itches or something that rubs you. And I did that one time and we were in Mexico and I put on some shorts that were, they were rubbing the wrong way. Don't you hate it when things rub the wrong way? And um, I can imagine that Adam and Eve but they were so embarrassed of what happened, they made coverings for themselves. Aren't you thankful that Jesus made the final covering, covered our sins? So they tried to hide it from God, and they hid themselves. I want you to understand and know with this, he says, he says these things, where are you? The question wasn't meant to say, I know what you've done. The question was, I want you to realize that you're lost, that you've done something wrong. I want you to confess your sin. I want you to express to God your sorrow over what you've done. I want you to know that I'm seeking after you. I'm not leaving you alone. God came to Adam. And number six, the last thing. If we go through this whole process and all these things happen and all of a sudden we start twisting things around, we miss out on the full meaning of what God is trying to do in our lives. Ultimately, misquoting, misusing, or misapplying scriptures cause us to miss out on the meaning of what God's word is trying to tell us. While none of us have perfect understanding, and there are many different thought processes as to what the Bible says, we can diligently seek the Lord through Scripture, and He grants us His Holy Spirit that will help us to understand. So, God confronts Adam and Eve with their sin, and what happens? He says, it was the woman that you gave me. She says, it was the serpent who deceived me. Blame. I don't want to take the blame for what I've done wrong. Satan is, to try, Satan is trying to deceive us. 
and he's trying to make it to where we're going to misrepresent Scripture and we're going to misunderstand it. It's important for us to know what Scripture says. In your bulletins, you may have seen a piece of paper, and it had a bunch of Scriptures on it. And I'm not saying that these are the most important Scriptures. There are many Scriptures in the Bible that you can look at. But these are Scriptures that you can use when you're going through something. So you can put them up on your refrigerator or hang them up somewhere and, and maybe even start to memorize and say, this is what this says and this is my verse of the week. Every day I'm going to say this verse over and over and over again. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, I am with you. Don't be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God wants to help me to get through my difficulties. So the question then becomes, if the most important thing is God's word, it's really about knowing God's word. So when the devil comes and he tries to use his cunning, we don't have to say anything except, this is what God's word says. This is what I believe. Get out of here, devil. When we accept Christ into our life, we have to, we have to take responsibility to say, I want to live according to his word. I want to live according to what he says. Not according to my own thoughts, my own desires, I want to live according to him. 